have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We continue this through this amazing epistle, this amazing letter written by Paul to the believers at Romans. We've been walking through this book, and it's been fantastic, and we continue today. Last week, we talked about being dead to sin and alive to God. So we started on this idea of what our church life, what our individual life is going to be like now. Man, I want vibrant Christian living, don't you? I want my life to matter. I want to please God. I want the joy of having God saying, well done. And vibrant Christian living is true life lived out loud, free and full. I'd like to connect the truth we're looking at today to our life, to relationships, to interactions, to our self-evaluation, to how you think of how you grow in Jesus. Connected to parenting, to marriage, to work, to play. What we're talking about today is of incredible importance. It's a key concept for your Christian life. It's especially important to see it through the whole Bible. So I will be doing a class in January on the Gospels and looking at why the Gospels are about the Gospel. I know it seems ridiculous, huh? What we need to look at today and what I'm calling you to do is walk with me and see how you get better as a Christian. See how real change happens in your life as a Christian. Paul's talking about it today called sanctification, how you get better. It's incredible and it's not what you might think. It's here in Romans. We'll be going through chapter 6 verses 14 into chapter 7 today. And it starts here with the what. We're doing a what and a why and a how this morning. What? What's this essential issue for daily living as a Christian? Here it is. It's in verse 14. Look at it with me. We saw it last week. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. You and I, believing in Jesus Christ, were not under law, but under grace. This is hugely impacting and radically practical, and it's the main point of what he's going to talk about today. You and I are not under law, but under grace. Wow! That's great! Um, what does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean for you, living today, that this is true? You're not under law, but under grace. What does it actually mean? Okay, the two things. You are not under law, but under grace. Let's start with the second one, because that's where he's been going this whole time. We've been talking through Romans. This is Romans. We're under grace. Under grace, right, means that Jesus Christ is all our righteousness. For justification, for standing before God, both now and forever, it's Jesus Christ and Him alone, right? He's our rightness before God. We receive it in Him as a gift of grace by faith alone. It means we get no righteousness through our own actions, but only through the actions of Jesus. We've, we've traced that, right? That, that there was there in, in Romans chapter 3, how there's no one who's right on their own. There's no one who's perfect, who's sought after God. And, and here comes Jesus. 
And if you look back even last chapter, it pulls in chapter 5, verse 17. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Wow. So, verse 21 as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, that's Jesus' righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, this this peace that Paul's gone after, say, that's where we live. Paul's talking about the Christian here on earth, life. That's what being under grace means. But as important in this particular piece as he's going is that we're not under law. The Christian isn't. What's, what's that? What's not under law? The Christian already saved, now living the Christian life. We're not under law. What does that mean? Well, Paul uses under law seven times in the Bible, in his letters. Let me read a couple of them to you. One is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 20 says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. See, Paul says, I'm not under it anymore as a Christian, and he separates it from Judaism. I became as the Jews. I became as those under the law, even though I wasn't over here. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, Paul writes, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. See, then Paul's contrasting that, hey, the way of faith is not the way of being under the law. In Galatians 4, Paul writes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so we might receive Adoption as sons. So there's there's this picture Paul paints there of adoption through ransoming those who were under the law, moving them somewhere else. In Galatians 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. What is he getting at? What is he driving at? What does he mean? Here's what it means. Law-keeping... Being under the law means that law-keeping is how you think you're providing righteousness before God. The way you think you're at peace with God is to keep the law, law-keeping. We're providing a righteousness that lets us stand even a little bit before God, either now on earth or any time after, that, that there's some time in there where we're keeping the rules me makes me acceptable before God. That's being under law. Now, that's very true if you're not a Christian, right? You are under the law. The law judges you. The law shows you sin. If you realize there's a word from God that says, this is the way, walk in it, we immediately don't do it perfectly. And so the law judges us. It says, you know what? You're guilty. But what about the Christian? What about the Christian today?
Can it be that we are both? I think many Christians think we're both. We're both under law and under grace because, you see, I was saved by grace in order to keep the law. Right? Because if you're a Christian, you, you might say this. Listen, you might say you're trusting God to enable you to keep the law. I'm trusting God to enable me, to give me the power to keep the law. When you say that, you're saying you're under law. It doesn't matter if you're getting help or not. The issue is what does pro- what provides your right standing before God? What provides your ability to stand and say, I am right with God. I am righteous. I'm good. If it's law-keeping, even with help, if that's it is law-keeping, if that's what it is, then you're under law. If it's not and you're doing something else, then it's under something else. Under grace is what we're seeing as the alternative. You might fight this. You might fight this. I fight this. I've I've had seasons in my life where I'm not in Romans and, and I start to fight this. I think it's because I tend towards thinking that in order for God to approve of me, really approve, in order for God to smile on me, in order for me to have God's favor, I want to qualify. I want God to look at me and say, yeah, you, you done, you done it, Dax. I want to contribute. I want to have a little bit of self-contribution in there. I want, I want, I want God to be compensated for all this fantastic stuff he's done for me. So I, I, I think, oh, well, I, 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 I want to be in the game. And so I, I think God might have adopted me, but if I don't toe the line, maybe he'll kick me out. So I've got to do the rules, right? That's under law. The variation on this, God won't be happy me with me, and if he's not happy with me, things won't go well for me. So I must show God my worth, my value, start working on myself right now to get better. He said, that's, you're talking about real change. This is about real change. Yeah, we're under, we've got to get to work. Here we are, we're going to please him. Here we go. That means I'm thinking I'm under law. We remain under law when we abandon the gospel. We think the good news, the good news bridges this gap, you see. See, this is my Christian way of thinking that I'm still in both camps. My Christian way of thinking is that the gospel was good to start out my Christian life. It saved me from all that mucky stuff I was in as that bad worldly guy. And now that I'm past that, I'm into discipleship. Key Christian word right now in our churches. Discipleship, it's really important. But what some people mean by discipleship is making sure you have your quiet times, witness regularly, get into church involvement, tithe. And you know what? This is the opposite of what discipleship actually is in the New Testament. Realize that. Discipleship is not accountability groups to make sure you stay under law. We've been taken from under law and put, that's our statement, that's our, that's our reigning thought for this whole section of Romans. You have been taken from under law and put under grace. I'm not getting in by grace and then hopefully over time becoming less dependent on grace by getting better. 
So the touchstone of our life this morning, our every breath, is we are not under law, but under grace. Further, look at the verse one more time. We're going to move off it. Further, but this is the key thought that, that he makes this whole statement he's making in chapter 6, the rest of it, and into 7. Sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. You see how radically weird that sounds to, to my moralistic eyes, ears? Do you hear that? Listen to it again. Sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under law, but under grace. <clears throat> Paul, you got it backwards. Sin will have no dominion over you because you're under grace. Wait a minute. Grace means I do whatever I want, right? So sin will have no dominion over me because I'll do whatever I want. That makes no sense, Paul. That sounds so amazing, so outlandish. That's why he stops again. He does at the rest, this latter half of six. He stops again to prove that to you. This is the Christian life. You are not under law, but under grace. And that is why sin will have no dominion over you. Wow. Prove it to me. Okay? Let's go. This is our second point. Why? Why? What's the path away from sin? What does it look like? Why doesn't it involve law? The, the, the realm of law. Why does not being under law but under grace guarantee that sin will not triumph in your life? Let's look. Verse 15. What then? He just told me. told me flat out what the Christian does. He's under grace, and under grace sin will have no dominion over you. So, so what then? This sounds too good to be true. Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? There's the skeptic's question and maybe yours. Hey, are you kidding? We just humbly need and receive Jesus' righteousness and then we can just sin away? What does Paul say? By no means. Not at all. You don't understand. If you think law-keeping is keeping you from sin, you don't understand. The point is this, he's going to make is that the only path away from sin is the path of abandoning yourself to the grace of God. Exercising your will, right? Exercising your will to humbly continue to be overwhelmed by Jesus. Because he says it in verse 16, look, do you not know? Hey, you guys, you don't understand. Don't you know? You don't understand. Listen, let me walk you through it. If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. There's just two ways. Get the argument. There's just two ways here, he says. If you set your heart on something, that thing rules you. If you set your heart on sin, it rules you. If you set your heart on obedience, on obeying God, that leads to righteousness. Amen? Here's the rub that we've already walked through in Romans. You know this. Every single one of us love sin. Was that Romans chapter 3? No, there's no, not one. There's none who sought after God. There's none who's followed him. There's none who's been obedient to him perfectly. So where I see myself in verse 16 
isn't obedience leading to righteousness. It's, look, I'm a slave of sin. That's what law does. It opens my eyes to the reality that I don't make it. Every single person in this room sets our hearts on us. No one sought God, so we were in the sin which leads to death camp. Jesus says this too in John 8.34. This says, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. The heart is wanting something that's not right, right? So it comes out in behavior. Your heart desires things that aren't of God and aren't from Him. And we question and we want our own way and we start to think of ourselves and for ourselves. And so that way is eventually leads to sin and the curse of sin, death and the law shows us. So there, there we are. I want people to respect me so I fear man and I serve out of that. I want people to value me so I seek after money or fame. I just want to break. I just want to relax. I want pleasure. So so I go after immorality. The fleeting pleasures of sin. Which is why 17 is an amazing verse. Look at it. Thanks be to God. He says, oh, but thanks be to God. There's a but there. Why? Because, because you were in the sin camp. You see, it's not that you were obedient to righteousness. You were slaves to sin. But thanks be to God, look what he did, that you, y'all, it's plural, us, loving Jesus, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and, verse 18, having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Okay. Again, understand the argument. Praise God. You didn't law keep your way to God. You have become obedient from the heart. That's something done to you. It's in the passive. See, it's in the passive. You have become. Something happened to you. There's been a divine work in your heart. This is a reference to the new birth. Your eyes being opened. Jesus, wow, it's true. Obedient to what? Look at the phrase. It's an unusual phrase. To the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Not, not, not to the teaching. To the standard, the pattern, the type. The actual word is type. The type of teaching, the pattern of teaching. What's that pattern? It's the gospel. Salvation by the cross. Suffering to glory. There's this type, this pattern that's over and taught in the gospels, in the letters. This is the way. This is, this is, in fact, they called Christianity the way. Obedience from the heart. This obedience is faith because faith is believing the message, the pattern of teaching to which we were committed. Again, passive. You and I were committed to something. We were placed in something. We were placed in this realm of grace we're under. Where our eyes are open, we say, oh, it's only Jesus. Oh, my heart sings, I desire Jesus. That's my heart's desire. My Savior. I love and adore and a joy. My Savior, I feed on Him. It's, it's an end to itself, this obedience, which is faith from the heart. And don't miss that. Having been set free from sin. Having been set free from sin. Again, did I... Having set yourselves free from sin. No, that's actually not what it says. 
Having overcome the sin that's in your life because you're powerful. No. Having been set free from sin. Did, did you do it? No. My Savior did it. You have become slaves to righteousness. This is it. Oh, finally, man. Finally, you're getting to what we do. Having, oh, wait a second. It's still in that passive thing. What do you mean? Do, do you see that it's saying this is what you are? You are slaves to righteousness. You've become that. Every person in this room has become a slave of righteousness. Why? Because if you know Jesus Christ and, and you've put your faith in him, you trust him, you believe in him, he's the object of your desire, he is righteousness. You see how that works? I have become a slave to righteousness because my desire is that thing that was over me now. That thing that's over me is Jesus. He's righteousness. Okay, we need to get, I, I know, you shouldn't, but it's so, so deep. I, I got my, my arms around it, my head around it. We'll keep going. But, but realize there's no command here. This is a statement of fact. When we were enslaved to sin, something or someone came and had us become obedient to the heart. Not partially, not sometimes. Our heart changed to the gospel. The reality of salvation in Jesus Christ alone and having been set free from sin, not, not, not us, somebody else did it. We have become slaves to righteousness, slaves to Jesus. He's our righteousness. Anyone you obey, the desire of your heart is set there, it's over you. Say, oh, but that, that's, I don't like the slavery language. Now Paul realizes you'll have trouble. Look at verse 19. I'm speaking to you in human terms. I'm speaking to you in human terms because of your natural limitations. I know that tickled your ear. <laughs> that was hard for you to hear. That's a hard image. I know it's a hard image. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. It's hard to understand. And then he goes on. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. That's not good. So now, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Okay, he's speaking in human terms. He's approximating. He says this is hard to convey. But like, this is what you do for your living. Like you once, when you were under the law, you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness. And you see, the law condemned you. And it led to rebellion and death. That's what it did. Now that this stuff has been done to you, your heart's been changed, you have obedience from the heart, you're, oh, wow. You've become a slave of Jesus, a bondservant of Jesus, because you desire him. You believe the gospel. You obey from the heart. Now present your body that way. Respond. It's okay to respond. Live in that reality. But note well, he doesn't say, now return to the law. doesn't say that. Present your members as bond servants to righteousness. That's Jesus leading to your consecration, your sanctification. I want to know more about that, what that is. Okay, good, it's coming. So verse 20, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. Yeah, so before you knew Jesus, you were a rebel in your heart. You had no regard for righteousness given to you. You thought you'd provide your own. 
I, I, everybody thinks this. I'm, I'm better than most people. Without Jesus. Take him a second and say, okay, without Jesus, how you doing? Well, I'm, you know, I try my best. You know, I, I, I'm not perfect, but you know that guy over there, he left his wife. I'm still in my marriage. Oh, that's good. And, and you know what I try? Man, I gave my kids birthday presents this year. Oh. And that's, those are silly examples, but you know what? We think this way. We provide our own righteousness. That's what it was. That's what was happening. You were free in regard to real righteousness. You didn't have any. I was free in regard to Jesus. But what fruit were you getting, verse 21, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Yeah, the fruit I was getting was not helpful. I'll tell you my fruit. If I go back to me thinking about me living for me, I got the fruit that reinforced my lawlessness, that reinforced my self-righteousness, because I worked hard for my own gain. I worked hard for people to say, Dax, wow, you're a good guy. I got up every day. As soon as dishes were over, my, my brothers hated me, right? I got up and went and did the dishes. There goes Dax again. Brown nose. Yeah, it worked. Mom and Dad then I really wanted something, you know. Well, Dax, you've been good. You've been doing the dishes. Wow, I just love how you get up and do the dishes every night. Ah, what a good kid. There I am, basking in the fruit of my behavior, which is damning. Because Dax, you're a good guy, is untrue. I'm not a good guy. I am a sinner in need of a savior. So if what I do is my behavior influences the what I get, and if I get things that reinforce that I'm actually doing okay, that's deadly. It is, it is, you guys. If I get things that say, you're doing well, and instead of thinking, oh, praise God, I think, oh, <laughs> oh yes, I am. Wow. That's, that's what he's saying. A Christian really, someone else said this, it's a good quote, I like it. He says, a Christian isn't someone who's been enrolled in the moral hall of fame. A Christian is a happily recovering Pharisee. Because that's what we are. We were Pharisee. We, we got we got the fruit of our lawlessness is a, is a self-focus, is a for-me focus, is a I-know-best focus. It's it's traces back to the garden. You've got Adam and Eve, right, eating from the tree of the knowledge Good and evil, and now, now what do they do? They say, "Oh well, God's not quite right here. We got to go get some clothes, fig leaves." Anybody? See, God's way wasn't quite perfect. We'll change it a bit. Unrighteousness. We go there. Okay, but now that you have verse twenty-two, been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get now. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay, realize what he's saying. Don't twist this around on us. Now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, who did that? Well, I did that. I'm good. No! You've been set free from sin. Who did it? Jesus did it, right? 
You become slaves of God. Who did that? Jesus did it. Wow. The fruit you get, there's two ways to think about this. First is the wrong way. Here it is. The gospel saved me. Jesus saved me. Now go do the law. The fruit that will sanctify you is the law. The, the rules you will follow. So go earn some fruit, present that to God, and be sanctified. Go ahead, Cain. That's actually what Paul's been arguing against because Paul, Paul's doing is he's pushing you and I towards the Holy Spirit. He's pushing you and I towards the Holy Spirit. What is he doing? Look, look at verse chapter 7, verse 6. Now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve not under the old written code, but in the new life of the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, the sanctified Spirit, the sanctifying Spirit. Look down at chapter 8, verse 4, and he's going to say this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So this is not a rabbit trail. This is the fruit of what Jesus has done. You see, Jesus saved you. Jesus made you a slave of God. And what he did... The fruit you get from having been set free from sin is this fruit, which is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes and seals you. This leads inexorably to eternal life for you because you bear much fruit. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, listen. Such were some of you, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Look, the fruit of responding to what God has done is what's happening here. Is that by the power of the Spirit, you respond to what has been done for you, that you are taken care of forever, that no act of obedience on your part now beyond faith will get you more righteousness, will be more accounted to you than what Jesus has already done. Jesus, one person put it this way, Jesus essentially was not a sage. He was essentially a herald. You know the difference? A sage. I'm going to give you some tips for wise living. I'm going to tell you four ways to improve your marriage and to get have couch time. Or Jesus is a herald, a victory one. What he did. He proclaims as true. We receive it as a gift. And so verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see that? Under grace is the way to eternal life. None of this has been under law. Don't miss that this treasured verse that most of us have memorized as some part of our Christian life. If you haven't, go ahead. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't forget that this has been all about being under grace, not under law. The law brings wages. Those wages will be death to you. If you go back as a Christian and you're saved by Jesus alone, and then you go back and say, I want to earn just a little bit to pay him back. The wages of that are it is death. See, the free gift of God, no, no law kept. The free gift of God 
Righteousness given is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Paul just took under grace. That's what he did. He just took the concept of under grace, not under law. And he just walked us through and showed us that's the way to sanctification in life. And he took under law and he stuck it in with the wages of sin, which is death. Do you see that with Jesus, our morality is not what we think it is? Because he died, our disobedience can be paid for, not by our efforts, but by receiving his efforts in self-abandoning faith. That's our Christian life. I say this because for many of us, sort of be good Christianity. It's not, it's, it's, it's so wrong, but it's not wrong. Okay, I asked somebody to paint my house. I said, okay. I ask somebody to paint my house, and I look, and they go, and they paint it, and they paint it. Oh, my girls want a different color. They go for pink. We go for a pink house. So I'm looking at a pink house, except, ooh, what's that? He missed a wall. I think that missing this is somewhat like missing a wall. No, missing this, you guys, being in good, be good, follow the law Christianity is telling someone, paying them to paint your house, and they come with a bomb, and they blow your house up, and you're looking at ashes. It's so central. We need to trust our righteousness. You have full standing before God by Jesus Christ alone. Wow. Progressive growth and holiness, it's energized not by graduating from the gospel, but by deeper reflection of the very gospel that got us there. We get to be more and more enraptured with what Jesus Christ has done. We more and more realize that we desire him. Therefore, righteousness is our master. Not unto law, right? It's not, it's not unto law. It's in the spirit. What Jesus did, the depth of new life in the Holy Spirit, it's ours. We dwell there. Presenting our members for God's use, that's a response. It's not law-keeping. But you ask, we'll finish, this is quick, but you ask, but, 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 but how? <laughs> what about the law? Dax, you've been giving that short shrift. You've impugned it. You've identified it with sin, not with righteousness. You might say, you know, you'd like to keep the law now that you're a Christian. You'd like to repay God a bit. And when you think that, you're actually soaking in some worldly thinking. Let me show you why briefly on the how. Death and new life in Jesus. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. We actually have been released from the law. Or do you not know, brothers? You you don't understand again. (laughs) Do you not know? For I'm speaking to those who know the law. Okay, you know the law, and you know that it's good, and you know you should do it, and you know it's righteous, and you know it's awesome and beautiful and perfect. It's God's perfect law. He gave it. I should be keeping it. Primarily when he says to those who know the law, he's talking about the Mosaic Covenant. Those 300 plus positive commands, 300 plus negative commands, the law in some total. Look. Isn't the law binding on a person as long as they live? And so that's the question. I'm speaking to those who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. 
Look, the law is binding on people as long as they live. That's because the law identifies sin. It identifies sin in all of us. If we're alive. It brings the curse of death. Paul here is going to talk about the law. He's clearly talking about the law itself, not the penalty of it, not the guilt of it, not the cursing of it. He's talking about the whole law, specific to those who know. So look what he does. Surely I need to keep, I read the Old Testament, it's God's word. Surely I need to keep those laws. Actually, if we really thought that, if you really thought the whole law of God needed to be kept, all of us who need to get up and quickly run and go change our clothes. What do you mean? Leviticus 19.19. You shall not wear a garment of mixed fibers. Polyester? Cotton? Anyone? Boy, if you've got it, if you've got any spandex, <laughs> go. <laughs> we laugh, but it's true, right? And so, well, 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 no, no, I need to keep the moral law. But, but how do you, you're going to decide? You're going to tell God, no, this one, this one, obviously, the Lord, you didn't mean that one morally, so I must be able to, what? Who, who are you? So we're not law keepers. We're not. We're, but, but, but for the sake of argument for those who might have tried, and for those of us who are pulled, he says, no, this is a way you could go, right? So let's give an example. He says, let's give an illustration that'll help you. So he goes to marriage. And in verse 2, he says, For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. If she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Okay, so to help us understand about law, two things. One, law is binding unto death. Death ends the law. Not because the law dies, but because we humans do. And if law judges, it judges and puts a curse of death, it looks like. And so here we have that thought. But here, particularly in marriage, this helps us. If if my wife is married to me and I die, she's free from the law that says she needs to be married to me. She's not married to me anymore. I've died. She's free to go marry somebody else. Da, da, no, duh. Yeah, but the, the duh part is that law has been satisfied in regard to that first marriage. It doesn't condemn anymore. After the person has died, you don't say, I'm still married to the dead person. Because you're not. You're free. So he says, likewise, in verse 4, my brothers, my brothers, my brethren, oh, my brothers and sisters, you need to see this. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Wow. Maybe you didn't go wow. You should have. Okay, we were under the law. We're almost done. We were under the law. We were married to sin. That's the thought. The law declared us condemned. And to get out from under that, we were identified so closely with Jesus Christ. He paid for our sins that actually, according to the law, we died in him. We died. The law didn't die. We died. The law said, yes, done, click. You think of it as a mechanism. It declared you unjust and unrighteous, and boom, the payment was paid. It was death, and it was paid in Jesus. You were there with him in identification, and that's it. 
You're not under that realm married to sin anymore. Law has nothing else to say to you if you died with Jesus. And then he keeps going, right? He kept going. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. Wow, it's not just about the dying Jesus, dead on a cross for my sin, that rescued me from law. It's about the living Jesus, raised from the dead by the power of God, that I too am joined with him in life. Not under law, in Jesus, in Christ, in the Spirit. In order that we might bear fruit for God. Make no mistake, we do something. We're energized. We're excited. Oh, it's just not rule keeping. Not in this sense. Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, it's all Jesus. For while we're living in the flesh, verse 5 says, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. You see, when we're in the flesh, When we're living for ourselves, this is not me seeking after immorality necessarily. This is me living for me. The very best I can, living under the law. What did the law do? It aroused my sinfulness because it showed me, this is the only way. This is the only way. You must do this. You must do that. You've got to do this. And I said, it's not the only way. I'm going to do it that way. And then I'm cursed. And it brings death. That's fruit for death. But now, it says, we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. See, we died to that which held us captive. In one sense, that's the law. In another sense, that's sin. And actually, law bringing out that we're tied to sin because we desire it. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. We're ending here. But look. Living in the flesh is living for me. While I'm living for me in mortality, the law forbade certain things, and I rebelled, and I wanted, and I coveted, uh aha, sin, and for that, death. But you see, Jesus came, and by faith in Jesus, he died, and I'm associated in his death, and then also put in him in his life. Righteousness given and released. I'm under grace, right? We just went through that. Obedience from the heart, new life, spirit given, and I serve in a new way, not in the written code, in the spirit. The Holy Spirit. How remarkable. So the the gospel calls us to the cross in humble gratitude. I've done nothing. I look out and the world looks different. I can't judge as I did before with fine-grained tooth combed. And and my life is now about, about living for Jesus. Your life is this too. Do you wake up in the morning and think, oh, i got to dazzle my kids with the grace of God? I'm going to do that today. No, I don't. I wake up in the morning sometimes. I think, oh, got to get up. Oh. Wait, wait, wait. Snooze. <laughs> oh. It went off again. Pull it out of the wall and throw it away. I'm not getting up today. I would drag myself out of bed and I'd say to the kids, kids, why haven't you eaten your breakfast yet? No, 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 I said anything. Wait, 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 wait. We do struggle. But the idea is this. I wake up, it's another day. I'm headed for heaven. I'm totally righteous before God because of Jesus. 
I cannot earn another thing. It won't earn me good standing with God to get up and put on a happy face with the kids. But, but, it, but it's the truth that the, my kids need to see the grace of Jesus. And if I get it, if I realize I'm united to him, I start to be kind, right? Ephesians 4 says, be kind. Oh, there's that law coming in again. Be kind. No, listen. Be kind as Jesus was kind to you. That's not law. That's response. Oh, be kind because you taste the kindness of Jesus. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my Savior, look what he's done for me. Man, I'd love to help you. I'm not getting anything out of that. I just want you to, to know oh, my Savior is fantastic. It's a different way of thinking. It's not being what you should be. It's living out of who you are. It's a world of difference. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so I call you today to live in grace because you are under grace. This is not weak tea. This is not license. Understanding that you're united to Jesus Christ, your Savior, is not license to go out and sin. It's actually the only path out of sin. As you more and more are humbled and made grateful for the incredible work of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.